0: The Lord has a light yoke for you this morning, not a heavy burden. You just need to realize that. Some of you came in with the heavy burden, and Jesus says, it's my light yoke that I have for you. So if you feel burdened right now, stand up, because I want you to receive. Stand up right where you are. If you, I'm burdened. Put your hands out like this in a posture of receiving. Lord, we receive your light yoke. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. This life is not easy, but you don't call us to strive harder and work harder and to give more effort. You call us to surrender more. So we choose a posture of surrender this morning and ask that your word would speak to our hearts. Thank you that it's always speaking. We open our ears and say, Lord, show us. Show us how we need to pivot so that we can wear your light yoke more. I pray for ease from disease and a new mindset. Lord, would you renew our minds so that we could think your thoughts, Jesus? I pray for my friends who are standing right now, would you just remove the burdens to begin to give new creativity, new solutions, new finances, new reconciliation, even in their relationships, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You needed to get that rid of that first before we talk about God's Word. Because we are talking about God's Word, we're doing this series that we're calling The Big Picture. It is all about experiencing the whole story of the Bible. And why are we doing this? We're doing this so that we can zoom out and understand the context of what's really true from God's Word. Because so many of us, it's such a big book and so intimidating, it feels so overwhelming. But to get to know it a little bit more so we can get our arms around it, And then in January of 2023, we're going to begin to teach you how to do inductive Bible study right here in the worship service. You don't have to go to a small group. You don't have to go to a seminar. You don't have to take a a class, go to Bible school. Right here for seven weeks, we're going to study the Bible together. It's going to be really fun. We've got some really cool technological things to do to be able to interact with the screen. Looking forward to that immensely. But all of this is leading up to that. Why? Because one of our core competencies as a church for disciples, learners, is for you to be able to study the Bible and know it. And it is this life source to us. And I know this is Tammy, and she'll talk to you in a minute. But for Tammy and I, we are so passionate about God's Word, and we're so passionate about you falling in love with God's Word. So that is what we're going to Do and talk about today because today we transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Yes, you can clap for that because I need a savior at this point. By the end of the Old Testament, I am so desperate for saving. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning or a lot of it. Galatians 4 tells us that God was right on time in bringing Jesus to earth. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, but when the time had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. And so there was a perfect timing that God established in bringing Jesus right when he did. So let me show you a chart really quick. Because what happens from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Let's just take a couple minutes and have a history lesson because I learned things this week that I, even I didn't know after going to seminary. They missed some things apparently along the way. Okay, so what's happening during this time? Well, there's a few kingdoms going on. You have the Persians. We talked about them last week. They allow the Jews to go back and set the temple up. Well, that's a big step toward where we are in Matthew, that we have the temple and we have We have the Jews in Jerusalem in in the land. Then Persian rule ends with Alexander the Great and the Greeks. Now, why is this important to our New Testament? Well, the Greeks established their culture. They want everyone to be just like Greece. And so they spread their language, Koine Greek, which ends up being the lingua franca, if you will. It's the language of the empire. Everybody knows Koine Greek. This would sure be helpful if we had a copy of the Bible in Greek, wouldn't it? And sure enough, during this time, we get the first translation out of of, uh, the Jewish language, Hebrew, into Greek. This helps to be able to understand the Old Testament and this entire story that's been leading to Jesus. This one unified story that leads to Jesus is now all understandable by anyone in the empire. That's a big, important point that needed to happen. In fact, this was when the Dead Sea Scrolls were written. And then along the way, the Greeks said, you've got to worship our gods and do our stuff. In fact, hey, Samaritans at Mount Gerizim, you worship Zeus. And Jerusalem, you at the temple, you worship Zeus at your temple. The Samaritans go, uh, okay, Whatever. And they kind of go along with Greece. The people in the south, the Jewish people are like, no, I don't think so. And they begin fighting the Greeks for 38 years. No, you're not going to destroy our temple. In fact, they put a pagan altar in the temple and desecrate it in Jerusalem. So it finally comes to the place where the Jews finally win their freedom from the Greeks. And during this time... They actually rule their own people for, for the first time in 450 years. And this is important because they go, you know what, those Samaritans, they're not even Jewish. They just kind of went along with the Greeks. Fine. In 113 B.C., they marched right up and they destroyed the temple, which was there in Samaria. You can imagine that didn't make friends, did it? We're going to see that in Matthew. And since the Jews have their own king, a group called the Sadducees come to political power. They are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. More on that later. But also the Pharisees come into the scene. We haven't even seen them yet. Where did these guys come from? The Pharisees really have a great start. They want the purity of the Jewish religion in Yahweh. They want it. They're fighting for that. They really, they're god, they're They start really well, they end really poorly. But that's where they come from. And then the last kingdom here, Rome. Rome comes in in 63 BC, and ends up taking over and ruling over Israel. This is an oppressive time. This is the time that Jesus is born into. And yet, it is also a time of peace, the Pax Romana. This idea that you could move and travel freely And they built roads, Roman roads, which would take you all over the empire. Why are these things important? Because the spread of this new way of Jesus is now going to be aided by Rome itself because it created roads and the relative freedom to be able to travel. And so what is God doing in these 400 silent years? Well, he's working because God is always working. Even in your life, when you don't think God is working, he is working. He's protecting, he's guiding, he's helping, he's continuing to shape you for what's ahead. And in this case, in this 400 years, it set things up for the Jews to be looking for a savior, looking for their Messiah King, And that's where Jesus comes on the scene. Well, I'm really excited about this morning and talking about the Gospels. As you are listening along, if you'd like to take some notes, we've got some handouts for you. Uh, They are in the back and also online. If you're watching online, you can catch a PDF. And, um, Tammy, your life has been changed by Jesus and God's Word. Just, I know that some folks don't show up every single Sunday, and they maybe weren't here at the beginning of the series. So, give us just a, just a little snippet uh, of your story so we can understand who you are, and then I'll run back to the bookcase.
1: Okay. Good morning. So I became a Christian when I was 10. Uh, My mom brought me to Sunday school, and that's where I heard the gospel message. And I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord, and the most important decision of my life. And not that life has been perfect since then, but it has been transformative. God has transformed me ever since I said yes. And it's through Him, uh, the Holy Spirit at work, that that has happened. One of the ways he has transformed me is through his word. I've grown greatly in that. And so I wanted to share my story as to why I was invited to help teach this. Uh, Full disclosure, I have no formal training. I did not go to Bible school, seminary. I did not take Bible classes. I just really, truly love reading and studying God's word. And I've been doing so in various ways over about 30 years now. There are some amazing resources out there that have helped me with that, and we've put some of those on our website because we'd love to share them with you. And I think there is such great value in looking and studying the big picture, which we're presenting here, and also diving into the details, which we'll be doing in the spring. And I just, I wanted to share my story, one, because Jesus, this is the whole point of the story, and if you don't know him, I want you to know him, too. And I want you to be transformed by him and by his word. And I just hope that I'm an encouragement to you because if I can do it, we all could do it. And so I'm, I'm a fellow learner with you on this journey.
0: That's right. You don't have to be a seminary graduate to understand the Bible. And so we are up here at the bookcase, and it looks a little bit different, and Tammy will tell you about it in a minute. But what you'll notice is we only have 27 books in the old, in the, in the old bookcase here as we move into the New Testament. Tell us about it.
1: Okay, so one little quick thing I wanted to say is that As we were redoing the bookcase, I remembered we had two ladies who did a big labor of love for us. It was Tammy Marshburn and Sharon Duncan spent hours cutting out our letters for the titles of the books. And so a huge shout out to them. It's helped make this possible. So I'm very grateful. But yes, we've been showing you that the Bible is a library, right? There are 66 books. We had this with the Old Testament for the last weeks, and that's 39 books. Now we've moved to the New Testament, like Andrew said, 27 books. So we talked about how the Bible is organized by genre or type of literature. I taught you a chant for the Old Testament, and I have one for the New Testament. And this chant tells you how many books are in each genre. So I'll teach you that, and then I'll show you the genre. So it's 4-1-21-1. Four, one, twenty, one, one. Four, one, one, twenty, one, one. Okay, and these are our genres. We have the first four are the Gospels. That's where we'll be today. Then we have one book, church history. That's Acts. We have 21. All of these blue books are letters and our last book, our last one, is a book of prophecy, prophecy, that is Revelation. Now, history and prophecy are types of genres we saw in the Old Testament, so those are not new. So the only two new types of genres in our New Testament are the Gospels and the letters. What are the Gospels where we are today? They are biographies about Jesus, specifically about his life and his teaching. So, let's read off what those four books are. You're probably familiar to most of you. Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Mark,
0: Luke, Luke, and and John. John.
1: That's what we'll be going over today.
0: All right. Now, we are going to be talking about the coming of Jesus to earth. But the truth is, Jesus doesn't start existing in Matthew 1 or in the Gospels. He's actually always been there. And so, as we think about the cross, which is the symbol of Jesus, the way that he died, and um, we can imagine that from John 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us, full of grace and truth. That is what John 1 tells us in his prologue, that Jesus has always been. In fact, Jesus even says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I've been around for a lot longer than you think. I just didn't show up at 4 to 6 BC. And so So Jesus is present in all of this timeline that we've been creating, whether it was with Abraham in that that fateful moment in Genesis 22 on the top of the mountain, or even with Moses or with David. And along the way, Jesus is showing up in the pages of the Bible. And we're going to move him all the way over here to where he fits in the timeline because we've been creating a timeline across our stage and we're now in the New Testament era. I have just stepped into the New Testament era. So let's talk a little bit about this New Testament era timeline.
1: So even though we're focusing on the Gospels today, we do want to show you all the main events of the New Testament. So we have, we put this at zero, year zero, right? That's that hinge point between our BC era and our AD era. Jesus, Jesus is born, right? Then thirty ish years later, we have the crucifixion and resurrection. And right after it, put this side by side, about 50 days later, we have Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And then in AD 70, AD, not 80, AD 70, we have the temple destroyed. Now that might be confusing, but wasn't it destroyed back there? Yes, it was destroyed back here, right? In 586 BC, that was Solomon's temple, the first temple, but we saw that they came back and rebuilt it, right? In 516 BC. So that is the second temple that is destroyed this time by the Romans in the year 8070. Then, I'm also going to have you do this. Can you take your other hand and do this? So at the end, we have the last book, Revelation, that is foretelling what's to come, right? And the close... The completion of the New Testament, right? We're putting that at the year 8095. It could have been earlier. That's about the latest dating. But all this to show that these events happened, and they really would be even crammed more than this, in a hundred years. So less than a century or when this happens. How many years was this? Do you remember? 4,000. Four thousand years. This is a hundred. So next week we're going to actually bring these guys to center stage, spread them out more so you can really see them. But we wanted you to have that visual today of just how little bit of a time period that is. I think we even have a slide that shows on our timeline that little where it is. Yep, uh, on our timeline.
0: So thanks, you guys. Great job. Our friends at the Bible Project did it. A great job nutshelling reading the Gospel. So let's take a look and let them nutshell things for us.
2: There are four books in the Bible that are ancient biographies of Jesus the Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while individual
3: stories about Jesus and his teachings are familiar to many people, These books have way more to offer if we read them from beginning to end and see how they connect Jesus' story into the overall biblical storyline. So let us talk
2: about how to read the gospel. First of all, this word gospel, what does it mean? Well, it means good news. Which raises the question, good news
3: about what? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus enters the story announcing that the time is fulfilled. God's kingdom has come near, so turn around and trust this good news. So the good news is about God's kingdom arriving, but what does that mean? Well, it is Jesus' way of summarizing the whole biblical story that leads up to himself.
2: The whole story. Okay, give me the short version.
3: Well, the story begins with God creating a good world and then appointing humanity as his representatives to rule it. But then, the humans rebel over and over, leading to a world of violence and death. That is a problem. But God's committed to making it work. So, he chooses Abraham and his family to restart the project. Then, through Moses, God brings the family into a garden land of abundance so that he can restore all of the nations through them.
2: Right, Israel becomes a kingdom with amazing kings like David. But eventually, Israel rebels too and it leads them into destruction. But Israel's prophets
3: said that God wasn't giving up. He was going to personally come and restore Israel so that his justice and peace could spread to all nations and to all creation. This hope was called the kingdom of God. And that is what Jesus said he was bringing to Israel. Yes, Jesus' good news is about God's kingdom, the new creation that was arriving to restore humanity to their role as God's partners in ruling the world. This is why the gospel has so many stories about Jesus liberating people from death and disease, along with all of his teachings about generosity to the poor, or forgiveness, and loving your enemies.
2: He was inviting people to live in
3: God's new world. Exactly, and so this is one of the main goals of the
2: gospel to show how Jesus is bringing the whole biblical story to its fulfillment. So that is why the Gospel authors are constantly appealing to the Hebrew Scriptures while telling the story of Jesus.
3: Yeah, like when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Matthew reminds us that this was anticipated by the prophet Micah. And he directly quotes from Micah. Yeah, these direct quotes are really common. But more often the Gospel authors weave biblical phrases into the story without telling you, so you can discover it for yourself. Like when Jesus is baptized and God announces from the skies, You are my son, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now, if you do some digging, you will find that God's statement blends together phrases from three biblical texts to identify Jesus as the royal son of David, the seed of Abraham, and the servant who is going to suffer for the sins of his people.
2: Whoa. That is subtle.
3: Yes, and the gospel accounts do this on every page. Every book is constantly showing how all of the biblical stories about Abraham or Moses and David and all the prophets,
2: all of it points forward to Jesus. Now, why are there four different accounts? Wouldn't one be enough? Well, the diversity is on purpose.
3: Each of the four gospel authors has shaped and arranged their stories about Jesus differently. So, they can emphasize different things about him. Matthew presents Jesus as a greater Moses, and so he's grouped Jesus' teachings into five large blocks, just like the five books of the Torah. Luke highlights how Jesus is God's royal servant from the book of Isaiah, who brings God's light to the nations. Mark presents Jesus as a new start for humanity, bringing the mystery of God's new creation crashing into the present. And John focuses on Jesus' claim to be Yahweh, the God of Israel, become human. To
0: do
2: for us what we could never do for ourselves. Those are really different from each other, but they all tell the same basic story. A man from the region of Galilee teaching this good news. But who's ultimately crucified as a criminal?
3: Yes, all four books of the Gospel are showing how the arrival of God's kingdom through Jesus led him up to the cross, where he was enthroned as the king of God's new world. He's given a robe, a crown, and a scepter. Right. And as Jesus suffers the consequences of humanity's rebellion, he's showing that the power of God's kingdom comes through his love and self sacrifice. And when he's
2: raised from the dead, We are watching the dawn of the new creation. So, the gospel authors do not just want their readers to know about the good news of God's kingdom. They want them to become a part of it.
3: Yes, the gospel is designed to persuade us to trust and follow Jesus so that we can participate in the new creation
0: that he began. If you want to see The Bible Project, you can download their app or just find their videos on YouTube. It is really, really great stuff to help you understand the Bible. I am a binge watcher of The Bible Project. Me
1: too. Okay, what does gospel mean? They talked about it in the video. Gospel means good news. And what is the good news? Well, it is the message concerning Jesus that this long-awaited Messiah and Deliverer has finally come, that Christ is our salvation from sin through His death and resurrection. It's also the good news about God's kingdom arriving here, and that's why we see Jesus talking so much about the kingdom of God. We saw that repeated over and over in the video. And it's these four books that are called the Gospels because they are talking about this good news. This is the good news that brings the whole biblical story to fulfillment. It's what we've been seeing along all this Old Testament scripture, that this is what we were waiting for, right? That it's one unified story that leads to Jesus. And in fact, the Old Testament is quoted a lot in the Gospels and throughout the whole New Testament, because they're trying to show how Jesus is the fulfillment.
0: Now, these four Gospels have a lot in common, a lot of similarities, if you will. And we've just boiled it down to a couple bullet points for you to be able to know that each of them has a prologue, whether it's a genealogy or talking about John the Baptist that came before, or even the Christmas story, that prologue comes first. And then Secondly, and most of these books are about Jesus' ministry, that three and a half years where Jesus is traveling and teaching and doing miracles before he dies and is buried and is resurrected on the third day and then commissions his people, which then is the passion narrative, is that idea of his last week on earth. And that resurrection, all four Gospels, has not only an account of the resurrection, but also a commissioning of those of his followers to go and take this message around the world.
1: So do we need to read all four? Or will just reading one do? Well... All four are told through different lenses, if you will. So, different, four different perspectives with different audiences and different goals. So, yes, you should read all four if you want to get this big picture of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. There are different ways to describe this, and we have picked out some visuals for you to help you remember. So come on up. Marissa Rogers is someone who understands and knows about these different perspectives. And so we have invited her to present this and to give you a snapshot of, the, of this with these four guys here.
4: Yes.
0: Come on. Come on over, guys. Oh, so good looking. Matthew, come down with me. have you here.
4: Okay, yeah. So um, like Tammy was saying, each book is a little different. They highlight some main things, but each one differs in how um, the author describes Jesus or uh, portrays Jesus, I should say. Um, So Matthew really focuses on Jesus as being this Jewish king. Um, So you'll see the term Messiah a lot throughout this book. And the Messiah was this savior that the Jews had been waiting for. So um, Matthew really focuses on Jesus' kingship. Um, Mark, you'll see the crown of thorns. And so he focuses on Jesus being this suffering servant um, and really highlights the time leading up to Jesus' death and the suffering and um, the rejection that Jesus faced then. Um, Luke focuses on Jesus being this son of man. So that's why we have the baby. Um, And he talks about the humanity of Jesus. He talks more about Jesus' lineage. And then John is a little different. Um, it's, I think it's more like spirit led, um, but it talks about Jesus's divinity as the Son of God. And so we have a cross to represent um, the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could have a relationship with him. So, an easy way to remember each one of these is um, Matthew, Jesus is the king, Mark, Jesus is the servant, Luke, Jesus is the man. And John, Jesus is God. So I hope that helps you guys as you're learning more about them.
0: Way to go, Marissa. That was great. That is good stuff. So we're going to go through each of these very briefly today to give you a little picture. So when you're reading your Bible, you know what to expect as you look at the king, the servant, the man. And God in flesh. So first of all, let's start with Matthew. Matthew, written by one of the disciples named Matthew. Matthew,
1: The tax collector. So Marissa showed us that we focus on him being the king, Jesus being the king. It also talks a lot about the kingdom. It opens with a genealogy to prove that Jesus is the son of David and therefore the rightful king to rule on Israel's throne. And Matthew often paints this kingdom as being an upside-down kingdom. It is not what you would expect. Jesus is the opposite of a typical human king. He instead models self-sacrifice, and he seeks and saves those who are lost. And he offers this kingdom to his followers.
0: So this presents Jesus as Messiah, the one that the Jews have been waiting for, the fulfillment of all the promises of all the covenants. And so covenants are these promises that God makes with humans. And there's a few covenants I want to review really quickly. In fact, I'm going to broaden out the list just slightly to throw you a curveball. You ready? So let's take a look at these covenants. Um, That first covenant, you can think about Adam and Eve, that marriage covenant between a man and a woman. There is a covenant with Noah. We didn't talk about it, but it is that covenant covenant with his family that God would save his family and save mankind that way. Then there's three covenants that we're specifically talking about. One with Abraham that there would be a tribe that God would bless and would make it a nation. That's where Moses comes in with the old covenant and the law. And then David. God saying yes one of your descendants is going to sit on the throne forever that son of david your kingdom is going to keep going through so this covenant with a kingdom is important finally jesus wraps it all up and jesus doesn't just limit it to the this Man and woman, a family, a tribe, a nation, or a kingdom, he says, No, this is for all humanity. Every person, man, woman, and child for all time, I'm going to bless and I'm going to offer this gift of salvation.
1: That is very good news. It is
0: good news.
1: Matthew also paints Jesus, portrays him as a greater Moses, and we saw that in the video too. He shows a lot of parallels between Jesus and Moses' life, and so Moses had been given this old covenant, and it was given as this five-fold thing, the Torah, right? And so so Matthew shows Jesus' teachings in five parts too, five discourses, And, and he's trying to show the comparison of the two. And and showing that new covenant as well, and oh, the first one is the the famous Sermon on the Mount that you would know.
0: So these five discourses are bookended by this beautiful little phrase, "Emmanuel." In Matthew one, it says it's quoting Isaiah: the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. End of the book. After those five sections or discourses, Jesus, while he's leaving, says, I will be with you always, Emmanuel. I, it is God with us. Beautiful bookends yes. in Matthew. I love goodness. that.
1: Mark. We will move on to Mark. So Mark is written by a man named John Mark, who is writing down the disciple Peter's information, his account.
0: This is all about the suffering servant, as we said. And this is really once again, moving back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, perhaps you've read this passage before. It's a prophetic passage about surely he took up our infirmities, our, our sins, and carried our sorrows. And, and this is all about looking forward to Jesus the Messiah and what he'll accomplish by suffering on our behalf so that we can be healed fully, mind, body, spirit. So while Matthew
1: focuses on Jesus' teaching, Mark focuses on his self-sacrifice and his rejection from the people that he came to serve. So focusing up on that, that leads to the cross, he was rejected, he was betrayed by His disciple, he, and then the rest of them abandon him. He, Peter denies him and then the Jewish, they condemn him and, um, and the Romans execute him, right? So all of this rejection, however, Jesus still comes through and does what he was called to do.
0: And as the suffering servant, he's modeling to us. And we learn from this gospel, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you actually serve and you're the servant of all.
1: Right. It is the shortest of the Gospels and perhaps the earliest written.
0: Time for Luke. Luke, this non-Jew, he's this Gentile, and he's the Apostle Paul's associate, partner, and he was a doctor, and so I love the fact that he focuses so much on miracles and gives us details because he's all into the medical details. The kind of
1: healings, Yes. So, the Son of Man and humanity is the focus of Luke. Luke gives us a lot of details surrounding Jesus' birth. He's trying to show that God became human. And so, we read the details usually around Christmas time in Luke 2. And
0: he's presenting Jesus as the ultimate prophet, the one that trumps every other one and is a great hero.
1: It is the longest and most detail-oriented gospel, and it was a more of a journalistic approach that Luke took. He used existing documents and eyewitness testimonies.
0: So after the resurrection, before Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus clarifies some of his teachings with his followers. He shows how the Old Testament scriptures all pointed to the things that he did. He then promises once he returns to heaven, then the Holy Spirit will empower his followers to spread the gospel and this good news throughout the world. And that promise is fulfilled in the book of Acts.
1: And so it is the only gospel that actually has a sequel. So Luke, Acts were written as this unified two-volume work.
0: So if you need a Bible, perhaps you've been thinking, I want to start reading the Bible, but I don't have a Bible. We have Bibles for you out there at the table in the lobby. Don't feel bashful. Just say, I need a Bible. Andrew said those Bibles. Grab one. Take it. We want you to be able to read it. But where would you learn? Where would you read if you were starting out? Yes,
1: we've been asked this. And so we would actually recommend starting Luke. Again, it's the most longest and detailed account. And it has a sequel. So you can also read about the the start of the church.
0: Everybody loves the sequel. That's
1: our our next week's
0: focus. That's right. Book of John, that fourth gospel written by John, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his inner circle guys.
1: And so as Marissa showed us, this is the focus on the Son of God. It's a focus on his divinity. And John shows Jesus as being one with God.
0: And I was referring to it as we moved the cross that Jesus was present before time began. He was the one who was co-creating with God the Father. And so John 1 specifically echoes Genesis 1 and the beginning of time, in fact, before the beginning of the earth's creation.
1: And I love that as we read the Bible, the Word of God, we encounter Jesus, the Word of God. This is beautiful. Also in John, are there seven I am statements? And if you can remember, so, uh, I am as a claim to divinity because back in Exodus 3, Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And God reveals his name to Moses, telling him to tell the people, I am. Has sent me to you. So the Israelites unquestionably understood that I am is a name for God, Yahweh. Here are some of the I am statements that Jesus makes about himself in John I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the way, I am the good shepherd.
0: So there are so many miracles in this gospel. In fact, From chapter 1 through chapter 12, this is all about the book of signs, the way that these miracles point to Jesus being the Messiah.
1: John also emphasizes Jesus' love for his followers, and he prompts the reader to share that love with others.
0: Now, I'm going to flip over to Luke for a second. Luke 22, we read that Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of my, the new covenant in my blood. So there's a new covenant being pushed forward here in John 13 through 17, this upper room discourse. So he's saying, through my life, my death, my resurrection, it's going to usher in this long-awaited messianic kingdom. This new covenant is coming. We're going to talk more about that next week.
1: Right? So that's in Luke. But in John, also during the Last Supper, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment too. And it says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another from John 13. And we're also going to talk more about that in an upcoming week as the new church tries to wrestle through actually living this out.
0: So, John is very different from the other three Gospels. And you call the first three Gospels the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have a lot of overlap, telling the same stories from slightly different angles. But John is 93% unique material. A lot of people think that John was written probably after the the other three, and he said, there's some stuff you guys left out. I'm going to make sure that this gets pushed forward. And I believe that John was there for some of this stuff where those other guys weren't. And so that makes John just so rich and so beautiful and so different.
1: Yeah, he was in that inner circle, so he would have experienced some different things. So what we were trying to show you is that it's important to read all four Gospels. And as you read all four of them, you see this fuller picture of Jesus' life, his ministry, his sacrifice. And there are some things that we want to point out to you too that you will learn as you read these. There are key players, there are key places, and there are key ways that Jesus presents about the kingdom of God.
0: Just real quickly here, here's some key players Jesus, it's all about him. The disciples, well, he chooses 12. There's an inner three, but there are more people that are learners or disciples, if you will. The crowds. This is masses of people that come because Jesus is really compelling. But after Jesus starts saying some hard things and they're not feeding lunch anymore, the crowds often dissipate. And lastly, the Pharisees. We learned at the beginning of this message that the Pharisees show up in those 400 years before the New Testament starts. And they start well, they end poorly, and they really make it hard for people to actually worship and follow God.
1: I just wanted to make mention, too, that when Jesus chose 12 disciples, it should remind us about how Jacob had 12 sons. Those became the nation of Israel. Jesus' 12 disciples will multiply into a worldwide community
0: of Christians. Good word. She's really into the numbers. Do you notice that? I love numbers. (laughs) Me, not as much. (laughs) So if you're looking for a math guy, I'm not it. Tammy, yes. I love
1: the numbers. I think there's a lot of significance in them. So pay attention when they're repeated in the Bible. Key places. Okay. So we've been trying to do a little bit of geography. I I encourage you to memorize about key key kingdoms. And of course, we talked about this main kingdom that we were supposed to focus on. This main nation is Israel. So where are we now here in the New Testament? It is the same land that was in the unified kingdom under, under David, right? That we saw. However, it has now been divided into three Roman provinces. And you have a north, a middle, and a south. So in the north, you have Galilee. In the middle, you have Samaria. And in the south, you have Judea. There's actually a typo there. It's not Judah, but it is named Judea because it is, that is where Judah was. Judah is, was that southern kingdom. And so some key places here, just in Jesus' story, he is born in Bethlehem. We knew that was prophesied by Micah in Micah 5.2. That is down in the south in Judea. Then he is raised, he spends his childhood up in Nazareth, which is in the northern province uh, of Galilee. He encounters the woman at the well. We see that in John 4 in Samaria. And then he has his crucifixion and his resurrection in Jerusalem down in the south in Judea again.
0: So key ways that Jesus presented this kingdom of God, he used miracles Sometimes he used miracles as a springboard into sharing then spiritual truth or just proving that he was God in the flesh. Sermons. Sometimes he delivered straightforward sermons. Other times he kind of hid some of the truth in what we'll call parables, and that is these short fictional stories used to illustrate spiritual truths.
1: So what better way to experience the life of Jesus than by looking at pictures from our Lego projects. Woo-hoo! And we have 14 of them this week, which is a lot. Wow. But, of course, we should have the most because Jesus is the star of the whole
0: book. That's right. So buckle up and watch for your friends here. So our friend, little Caroline Hap. Created baby Jesus from Luke 2, and she did a great job. But then we got to see a picture of the whole nativity. So our friends Deanne and Serena put together the entire nativity, including wise men and, and shepherds and all sorts of detail.
1: So at the time that Jesus was launching out into his ministry, he is now age 30, and he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness or into the desert as a preparation time. He is tempted by Satan, but he doesn't sin. So Liam Thrasher, this was a Zoom, yeah, here we go. Liam Thrasher Wheatley took on this, showing Jesus being tempted in the desert from Matthew 4.
0: Mark 2 is the story of the paralytic being lowered down through the roof. This once again is proof that he is the Messiah. Thank you, Heavenly Hap. Great job. While traveling through Samaria with his disciples,
1: Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. I just talked about that. It is at Jacob's well, and he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. So Elliot Thrasher Wheatley took this one on. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, and this is found in John 4.
0: And Kendra Floyd, a super mom, took on the healing of the 10 lepers. When 10 lepers are healed by Jesus, only one comes back.
1: She also did this one. Now, this one she did with Nora. her daughter, Uh, Jesus reveals to his disciples his deity by commanding the wind and the waves to obey him. So Jesus calms the storm.
0: So Jesus, we said, taught in parables, and uh, the parable that Amy and Canaan took on was this parable that describes your life either built on a rock or built on the sand, and you want to build a life of faithfulness to God on the rock, and not experience the chaos and destruction when troubles come, instead be established in him.
1: Along the way, Jesus encounters many who the world has rejected, like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So Jesus sees the short man. He's actually climbed into a tree to get a good look at him, and he accepts Zacchaeus just the way he is. Right before he has been changed, and, and he 's still walking in his crooked ways at this point, they end up by having a dinner party at his house, and that evening, after encountering Jesus, Zacchaeus turns from his stealing ways, he even vows to give his money and his possessions away. So Christina Feather did this one where Jesus encounters Zacchaeus in a tree from Luke 19.:
0: Another supermom. And then Matthew 14, Jesus and Peter go walking on the water. And this is a huge showing of Jesus' deity, but it's also showing a picture of faith in the Messiah. So incredible job by Justin Palmer. Way to go, Justin. But then also Bethany Musselman did another version with a slightly older looking Peter. He's already great. Um, and perhaps uh, that walking on the water was very difficult. Okay, so
1: Jesus' ministry is about three and a half years long. He's done this this ministry with his 12 disciples, and he actually intentionally sets out for Jerusalem to celebrate. Devin was talking about this during communion, the Passover feast. He knows that the religious leaders there are going to try to kill him. And he knows that his father's plan, God the Father, is for him to die once and for all as a sacrifice for the sins of all humans for all time.
0: So when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he enters the city. We have three generations working together Susie Johnson. Kendra, and then also Zephyr Floyd, age four, put this together. And this is the triumphal entry. Jesus coming into the city, riding a donkey. Why is this important? Zechariah 9.9 tells us that the Messiah will come riding a donkey. Why? Because all Old Testament kings in Israel rode donkeys, not horses, which would show that they were victorious in war. This is a humble king coming to save. And this is happening just one week before Jesus dies.
1: And then Jesus dies on a cross. And we have a picture of that too. There it is. He willingly gives himself up. He suffers a brutal death on a torture device that had been created, we learned last week, by the Assyrians. And at this point, though, it's the Romans that crucify him. Remember, he dies during Passover. He becomes the sacrificial Passover lamb whose blood is shed To give us life. And that one was done by Ryland Bunch.
0: But Jesus doesn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. To prove that he is Lord over sin and death. The one who has the words of life for us. And so this is the story of Jesus. Next week, we'll continue the story about what happens after he rises. And how his followers continue to learn from him, and then spread this message. But this message then has also spread to us. And we have an opportunity to respond to this message that is good news. You see, because just as the world was created so many thousands of years ago, and God said it was good, yet Adam and Eve, our first ancestors, made a choice to put themselves in the place of God. And therefore, they, and they brought sin into the world. Sin was the one pollutant that moved through all of creation, ruining God's good world. But God has a rescue plan that he starts from Genesis chapter 3, where he says, I'm going to raise up a man who will save you. And all along, we've been looking for a deliverer deliver and a savior. We've looked to judges and prophets and kings. We've looked at, at men and women who worked really hard, but didn't have what it take, took to save us. In the Old Testament, God gave us a sacrificial system of animals dying, their blood being shed to take care of our sin problem, to forgive us of our sins. And yet Jesus comes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist says. And he willingly gives himself up on a cross and dies in our place that we would have the right to become sons or daughters of God. And so he provides this way and yet he says that the road is, the, the gate and the road is narrow and few find the way. What is the way? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets reconciled. No one gets their sin problem taken care of except through me. And so all of us face brokenness in this world. We've all made Sinful choices, choices that are selfish and against God's way. The kingdom of God and the message is in Mark 1. And it's very clear that we are to do two things in response to Jesus, this good news. And that is to turn from our ways toward him. The Bible calls it repentance. Choosing to turn his way, turning. And the second thing is trusting. You've heard the word believe, and the Greek word for believe really is to trust. It's to put your full weight on something, to trust Him with your life. So Jesus is calling to you today, saying, Have you turned and trusted me? And what happens when you do this, when you finally surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for how I've messed up my life. I confess my sins to you. I turn to you. I want to follow you. I trust you with my life. There is a surrender and a letting go. But you don't have to clean up your act and work on everything to earn your way because there's nothing you can earn, nothing you can do to earn or deserve your way into God's good graces. The way you get forgiven is through the blood of Jesus, what he's shed for us. And so, if you're in a place where you've been kicking the tires on faith and trying to figure out if this Jesus is real, and you've been thinking, you know what, I think this is what I want to do with my life, today is your day to just pray a short prayer and surrender once and for all. Put the white flag up and say, Jesus, you be the boss. So, if you're in that place, I want to lead you in a short prayer. You could just just pray this prayer silently to yourself. God will hear it in your own heart. So Jesus, today I surrender. I admit that I've messed up my life. Please forgive my sins. Cleanse me. Make me new. I choose to surrender my life to you, Jesus. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for filling me up with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for saving me. Amen. So if that was you this morning we would love to know about that. We would love to know that that's where you are making that decision because we're not promised tomorrow. And today is the best day to give your life to Jesus. So as we close, would you stand? If you made a a commitment to Jesus for the very first time where you're like, yeah, that's me this morning. I, I, I'm, I went all in with Jesus. Would you just raise your hand right now right, where you're at? I just want to see where you're at. Because I'm believing that people are, have just surrendered this morning. Is there anybody in that spot today? Nobody's going to? Okay, great, 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 great. Awesome, thank you. So God is at work and His, he has power to give you life to the fullest. It's not just about surrendering. Now it's about walking with him. So if you made that decision for the first time, we would love to give you a little gift. Just go to the table. They'll give you a little bag. Um, We just want to help you grow in this relationship because part of, of, of entering his family and into this relationship is actually, you're then called into the family to help others to learn about who he is. So Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that there are new people in your kingdom this morning. We pray that you'd strengthen, help, guide, provide. Help us as a family to come alongside them and help them to learn and grow. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to perform our way into your love. We just just ask that the power of your gospel would go with us as we leave this place. And I pray even as we read the words of your gospel this week, that you'd powerfully work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer folks, if you'd come forward, we'll have prayer folks down here. We'd love to pray for you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.